sounds good right now after what we just experienced, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, Resonate Church, let me hear how everyone's doing this morning. Feeling good on the long weekend? You're feeling good. You're feeling good. It's good to see everybody here. Great to see you here this morning. I'm excited to uh, be in week number five of Staycation. Excited to uh, get out this afternoon and enjoy this amazing weather. I hope that uh, many of you have been away enjoying time and rest. And uh, as Rachel said, our Staycation series has really been anything but a relaxing breath of fresh air. It's been a challenging series. But here's the thing. I think if I'm a good pastor, I'm getting us ready for the next season that's ahead. And we're looking ahead at September, October, and November. And we are excited that many people are going to come into this place and find life in Jesus. And so I want to let you know what's coming up in this next season. That we're starting today, 21 Days of Prayer. This is the official start of 21 Days of Prayer. We do this twice a year. We do it in January. Before we do anything else in the year, we start with prayer and with fasting. Then we do it again in August. We don't have the fasting focus in August, although I'd again encourage you to mix prayer and fasting, maybe a meal, maybe a day. God just does something in, in our lives when we mix prayer and fasting together. But I want to invite you to take part in several ways. Here's why we do this in August. The first reason is, is to just beat the summer slump, right? Like, you know, I don't know about you, but for a lot of years in my life, summertime was the weakest time in my walk with God. Because, you know, you just kind of, you get on vacation, and you're on a vacation from work, and you're on a vacation from a lot of things. You end up taking a vacation from time with God. And so we just want to turn up the heat a little bit in the summer, kind of refocus and get engaged with God. The second reason, as I already mentioned, is that we know what God is going to do ahead. And before we go into a growth season, we want to make sure that our spiritual depth is where it should be so that we can carry the weight of those God is going to bring to us this fall. So here's a couple ways you can engage this morning in your seat is a 21 Days of Prayer card. And the first way that I would encourage you that you could engage is to commit or to recommit in your personal prayer and Bible devotion. We've got there 21 Days of Bible Reading in the Book of Acts. You can hop on our Insta story and our social media every day throughout the 21 days, and a member of our lead team will be giving some encouragement, just some observation from that chapter for the day, a bit of a prayer focus for that day. The second way that you can engage is to be a part of our Saturday morning prayer. And I'm excited for this. Uh, the next two Saturdays, we've got prayer across the street at the Poirier Rec Center. So uh, that's 8 a.m. to 9. It's written on the card. You can see that there. And then on the third Saturday, the 25th, we're going to have prayer right here outside the theater, outdoor prayer, weather permitting, God willing. And now I saw this this morning. I had not seen this until this morning. Our kids team put this together. I'm so pumped for this. I can't wait to find out even what's in here and do this with our kids. But this is a prayer guide for you and your kids. I mean, come on. How great is that? Thanks, Jamala, for putting this together. Can we show her some love to our kids team? I love it this morning. Uh, I, I was walking down the stairs, and Abby, she's often not up before I leave for church, but she was up early this morning. God, God bless her. And so I'm walking down the stairs, and she's whispering something from upstairs, and I couldn't quite hear it. And I stopped. I said, what was that that you just said, Abby? And she said to me, she said, Daddy, go tell people about Jesus today. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm ready, baby girl. And she's like, you got to remember to do that. 
And then she took off running because she wanted to watch a show. God bless her. We've been in a mini-series within Staycation on living like a champion. And in week one, we talked about God's call for you to recognize God's called you to be a champion. Then in week number two, we talked about thinking like a champion. No more small-minded thinking. No, thinking like a champion. And then in week number three, we talked about what's the heart of a champion. We talked about open-heartedness, guarding our hearts, a heart of purity. This morning, of course, we couldn't finish a little mini-series on living like a champion without talking about the fight of a champion. Because you can't just think like a champion and have the heart of a champion. No, you've got to engage like a champion. And the thing that I love about this series, I think it's so important. I think we all need to hear this all the time. There is a lot more to your life than you even expect from yourself. Come on, somebody. God did not make you with leftover materials. He didn't take the pieces of after he made somebody great. and He's like, well, I got a little dough left. I might as well make a pasty white guy named Shane. No, God... (laughs) had intentionality. He grabbed the great stuff when he made your life. He had purpose to every part of you. And so that's what this series is about, calling out the champion in all of us. And this morning, I I really believe this, that the life of a champion, that's not the life of someone who's able to avoid pain, obstacles, and suffering. No, the life of a champion is the person that knows what to do in the middle of pain, obstacles, and suffering. And so this morning, we're going to go and look in the Bible at the life of a man by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of the nation of Israel. His story is told in, in the book of 2 Chronicles 17 to chapter 20. And here's where he fits in the, in the kind of theme of the Bible. He's the great, great, great grandson of King David. And then if you track the family line down a lot of generations, you eventually see that he would be a great, 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 and so on, grandfather to Jesus. He's the king of the nation of Judah. And if you look at the pre-story in 2 Chronicles before it starts talking about Jehoshaphat, it tells us about his father Asa. It tells us that his dad had been king over Judah. And that while his dad was king, a, a million-man army had come and attacked Judah. And so Jehoshaphat is like, well, I don't really, really want to see a million-man army come again. But just in case they do, and to act as a bit of a deterrent, I'm going to make an army greater than a million people. So the Bible tells us that Jehoshaphat assembles an army of 1,160,000 men. The Bible says some great things about him before we get into the story in chapter 20 of this victory, this unlikely victory that we see from his life. The Bible says before this victory even happens, it says great things about him. It says that Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. It says that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. It says that he had a heart of courage. Then as you go on in the story, all of a sudden one day, I think we've all had difficult days, probably not this difficult. Someone comes up to him and he says, hey, hey Jehoshaphat, um, remember how your dad had a million man army come up against him? Well, his friends say to him this in verse 2 of chapter 20, a great multitude is coming against, I love this, you. <laughs> not even us. Like This is coming for you. They want you from beyond the sea. Listen, if they could number a million-man army, but they couldn't count the one coming against Jehoshaphat, how many know that's a big army? This is like, it's, listen, we were able to count a million, but this one that's coming, no one even wants to guess. That's how big this army is that's coming against you. And if you've got a tendency to freak out when stuff gets difficult in your life, uh, if your life becomes a hot mess, when you hit a bad day, I think you'll, you'll, you'll be thankful for Jehoshaphat In verse number three, it says this, Jehoshaphat was, say this one with me if it's on the screen, it's not there yet. 
It's not even coming up. I'll make you run laps. I promise you, if you don't get that thing up, I'm just joking. You got to love the media. You know, it's hard. It's hard. It's a hard gig. Laps, but it's a hard gig. Um, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Afraid. Now, what I love about the Bible is it doesn't minimize the gory details of so many of the stories of people we see. Jehoshaphat was afraid. There was a battle that he didn't see coming. When it showed up on his doorstep, he, he freaked out. I think this is a little bit like, you know, in, in May, we went to Disney World with our, with our kids. And I know that sounds like a strange transition, like how is Jehoshaphat's battle like Disney World? But you'll see the link in a minute. Before we went, before we went um, I went on YouTube with Avia, and I wanted to show her all of the rides that she could ride at the Magic Kingdom. And she watched all of them. They've got, you know, have you ever seen like the ride-along one? Someone will take their little HD thing that they strap to their head or whatever. And then you get to ride along and see what they saw. And so I'm showing these videos to Avia so she can pick the ride she wants to go on. And of course she picks Splash Mountain. She believes that at the age of four and just like a couple days that she is able to handle a 50-foot drop in a hollowed-out log. Like this, Daddy, I got Splash Mountain. And so... I look at the height restrictions for Splash Mountain. I found it; it's 40 inches. You've got to be 40 inches tall to ride Splash Mountain. And so I go and I get some measuring tapes. Uh, and I, I actually just one. I get a measuring tape. <laughs> and I, I measure up. She's about 41 inches tall. I'm like, okay, well, if you're tall enough for this ride, we'll trust Walt Disney. He knows what he's talking about. Like, you, you're probably fine. So then we go and we get there. And there's a woman. She's at the, she's at the entrance to this ride. And Avia, she takes Avia over to this little height checker thing. And it's just like a little bar. And if you can walk under the bar, you're too short for the ride. And Avia clearly fits under the bar. Like, this is why you don't want me doing renos in your home. I had missed by, like, a couple inches. But she's up on her tiptoes. She's my kid, right? She's a smart, she's strategic. She's like, I'm going. And so then the woman is like, the woman, there's a line forming behind us. And the woman is just like really looking closely. She's like, she's trying to fit her, can, can she get her hand in between Avia's head and this thing? And I'm like, if you got to take this long to check this out, this is probably a bad idea, right? Like if it's this, if it's this close between life and death, I should probably back off right now. But anyways, finally she's like, yep, she's good, let's go. And so I walk her in to the ride. We go through the lineup. We finally get to the front. We're about to get on the ride. And all of a sudden Avia looks up at me and she says, Daddy! Don't make me do it. <laughs> so this is like decision time as a parent, right? Like, what am I going to do? I got a couple options, right? I'm looking at the parents and trying to see what y'all would do. How many parents would let the kid just back off? You take them back away from the ride. You don't want to put them on that ride. How many parents you would pick them up and you would put them on that ride? Let me see your hands. Somewhat of an even divide. Being the wise adult that I am, I, of course, picked her up, and I put her on the ride. <laughs> the moment we sat down, I realized what the height restriction was all about. Avia could not see out of the log. <laughs> so now we are about to have an 11-minute ride over a series of waterfalls, none of which she's going to be able to see. She has no idea that the people in the logs in front of us are surviving. She just hears the screams. She can't see that they're coming out on the other side. She is leaning into me. She's got her head. She buried her head. She did not open her eyes for 11 solid 
minutes, she screamed. We get off the ride, and I'm, uh, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to ask Rachel for some, you know, baby, where's some, like, child counseling referrals that we could go to because she's never going to trust me again. But we get off the ride, and when Avia sees her mom, she goes running over to Rachel. She's got her arm up in the air. She's like, Mommy, I did splash mountain. Uh, she, this, seriously, she started going up to kids that she noticed were just a little bit shorter than her, and she said, when you're 40 inches, <laughs> I'm going to be able to take you on Splash Mountain. This is life, right? This is, this is so much what, what life is like. Because I'm talking to somebody in the room this morning, and you're going through something, and you didn't see it coming. And you don't have the ability to see that God's already brought a whole bunch of people through the thing that you're walking through. You might not even recognize that he's sitting right next to you in the boat. All you know is that right now you feel pretty afraid. I love what the Bible says. It doesn't, Jehoshaphat doesn't stop there. It says that Jehoshaphat was afraid. And I love this word, and, and. He was afraid, and. This is the difference uh, but this is the difference between fear and faith. You don't have to go through life never being afraid. You just got to have an and. Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Come on, 21 days of prayer. He was like, come on, let's do 21 days, guys. We got this. Well, I don't, we don't have 21 days. We'll all be dead. But whatever amount of time we have, let's pray and let's fast. Let's press into this. They assembled to seek help from the Lord. What I find really interesting about this, and the Lord, I had a bit of a different message to preach until the Lord woke me up on Friday morning, probably, or Saturday morning, about 3 a.m. I don't want to be too super spiritual, like God didn't walk in my room and was like, hey, son, and then I looked up and it was God. I just mean like I woke up and I, and I heard something that I thought was like a good message. I'm thus assuming that it was God <laughs> waking me up at 3 in the morning. I wake up at three in the morning and usually it's just like to get a drink of water. But right away I thought Jehoshaphat didn't want this fight. Like he has spent his whole life building an army big enough that he won't have to fight this fight. There is nothing about this fight that he wants. This fight is going to be the fight that he is known for. This fight is going to be the hallmark of his life. This fight is about to become his legacy and yet it is a fight he didn't want. And I think that's, again, a picture of so many of our lives. The fight that God has called you to, the fight that he has set you up for, the fight he is going to bring you through is not a fight that you want most of the time. In fact, when I look at the fight that I believe that we're called to engage in as a church right now, we don't have three enemy nations pressing against us on our doorstep that we've got to figure that out. So I believe the fight that God has called us to as a church is a fight for broken people in our cities. But you might be here and you're thinking, well, pastor, that's great, but right now it's just enough of a fight to get my kids dressed in the morning. Come on, I know that fight too. You're like, I don't have time to be fighting for other people. Or maybe you're thinking, right now the fight of my life is just to fight through the stack of work that is on my desk. I don't have time to fight for other people. But here's how God works. The fight of real champions is always the fight for other people. 
There's a whole lot of people going through life miserable, and it's because they're only fighting for themselves. You see, maybe all you wanted in life was a spouse and one and a half kids and a dog and a house. But showing up on your doorstep is the fight for a single mom or a single dad that's right now just trying to make it through. Showing up on your doorstep is the fight for a teenager that's contemplating suicide. Showing up on your doorstep is the fight for a couple that's, that's thinking about throwing in the towel. The fight of real champions is always the fight for other people. And here's the really great news. If you want God's eye on you, if you want God's presence all in behind your life, it's found in the fight for other people. It's found in taking my attention off of my own fight and putting it onto somebody else's fight. Because if you'll fight somebody else's battles, God will fight yours. If you will take your attention off of the thing that seems insurmountable, off of the thing that you didn't see coming in your life, and you'll put it onto somebody else's fight. In fact, what you might even realize was the thing that I thought was a big deal really isn't that big deal anyways. God's got my fight. I'm going to take the fight of somebody else. The fight of a real champion is always a fight that you don't really want, but it becomes your legacy. Jehoshaphat didn't want this fight. It comes to his doorstep. He chooses to assemble all Israel and to, to fight. Then he prays this incredible prayer. And as we go into 21 days of, of prayer and fasting, man, this is just such an encouraging prayer. And one more thing about the fight for other people. Just before we go on, i got to get a little plug in here. Rachel mentioned next steps. Last week we had, in the middle of July, 18 people at step three of our next steps. Like, that is absolutely incredible. And I want to encourage you, if you've ever been to any of our next steps, to dive into step four today. Because step four is the place where you actually make a decision to get on a team. Because I, you know, we don't make the invitation, make the center point of, of so much of what we do here, our next steps, because we need people on the team. We do it because your best life is on the other side of fighting for somebody else. So if you've been to any of the steps, come on, dive into step four today. So Jehoshaphat gets into prayer. Come on, somebody, he prays. And as we're thinking 21 days of prayer, I love this little prayer strategy we see him outline. This Use this in the 21 days. He starts with praising God, like just making God really big. Listen to what he says. He says, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. That's a great way to start your prayer. God, you're great. Lord, hallowed be your name. Like, you are awesome. God, you're in your hand. Like, you've got this. I'm gonna just going gonna, gonna to worship you. you you're overall. Nothing... Nothing happening that's not on your watch, God, that you're, you're over all that's going on in my life and you can deliver me. Come on, that's a good way to start prayer. He goes on from there. And he begins to ask God for some help. So after making God big, he says, but I need a little help too. He says, and now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and not destroyed. So listen, God, remember how when we came up out of Egypt, we decided that you told us that we weren't going to attack these people. And, and, and now what do they do? They reward us and they come after us. God, God you got to surely that that's not your plan. God, would you defend us? God, would you execute judgment on that? So he starts with God being big, and then he asks for God's help. But this is not what I would expect at the end of this prayer. Like, I'm thinking, 
Jehoshaphat, he's kind, of, he's kind of crescendoing. God, you're big, and God, you're going to help us. And I'm thinking he's just going to f- finish on the like, and the best is yet to come. Come on, let's go, army, let's go. God is with us. We've seen him do it before. God will do it again. But that's not what Jehoshaphat says at the end of his prayer. In fact, he sounds a little concerned. Listen to this. For we are powerless against this great horde that's coming against us. We do not know what to do. Come on, somebody. Can we show a little love for Jehoshaphat? Like, I know you feel like Jehoshaphat most of the time. Jehoshaphat, he's emo. Jehoshaphat, he's transparent. Jehoshaphat, he's vulnerable. This is a man before his time. Like, Jehoshaphat is a millennial. Like, he just, he eats avocado toast. He sits around with his friends. He says, things are really difficult right now, man. He's sitting at Nemesis Coffee downtown, and he's just like, man, I don't know how we're going to get through this. And then he hops over to Revolver, and he's talking to some more friends, and he's just like, man, it's just really, really difficult right now. And if you're not a coffee snob and that made no sense to you, that's okay. Really, he's just an emo guy. He's just like, let's lay it all out there. Guys, we don't know what to do. Here's why I want to highlight how real, real Jehoshaphat gets. Because there's a whole lot of people going through this life with hidden hurts, hidden battles, and covered up fears. And when we hear in the media another headline about someone that seems to have it all taking their life, it should become obvious to us as a church that the world around us is looking for a safe place to show up and say things are not okay for me right now. Now the church needs to be a real place for real people to get real. A lot of my friends look at church and they think church is a fake place for fake people. But the church needs some real leaders to make it safe for people to show up and talk about what they're going through in their lives. The world needs a real place. The world needs a place where they can be brave enough to show up and say, this is what's going on. And no, they're not going to face judgment. No, they're not going to face us kicking them out the door because they're dealing with some stuff in their life. No, we need to be a house that allows people to come in and dump what they're going through. That's important in this house. But hang on, hang on, hang on. That's good, but it's not enough. It's important to be vulnerable, but that's not enough. Because if we just get together and cry together, that would be somewhat helpful, but it would not get us through. Look at Jehoshaphat again. He adds another word that's so important. He says, we do not know what to do, but we do not know what to do, but our eyes on you. You see, I think it's so great to be a house where people can come in and, 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 and say what they're going through and know there's no judgment in the house, but also know that there are people in this house strong enough to say, hey, you don't have to stay there. Because you might be going through anxiety, but, but our eyes are on God. You might be going through sickness, but, but our eyes are on you. Come on, we're going to always stand up here. Every week, we're going to make room for vulnerability. We're going to make room for transparency. We're going to be emo millennials. It's going to be phenomenal. I'm like barely on the cusp of being millennial. In fact, some would say I'm not. That's okay. I'm going to pretend I am. We're going to make room for those things, but then we're also going to stand here and say, God's got this. He's brought through people before. You can't see outside your boat, but he just brought through a whole bunch of people that thought they were going to die, but they landed at the bottom, and they made it through. I'm going through sickness right now, but my eyes are on you. I'm going through depression right now, but my eyes are on you. I'm going through a broken relationship right now, but my eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat lays out the real, real, but... He always turns it back to God. And then I love this. We get to this place. This guy uh, in verse number 15 comes along and he, and he says one of these iconic 
lines from the Bible. This guy by the name of Jehaziel, he's got this prophetic, uh, this prophetic word from God. And he says, listen, King Jehoshaphat, all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. See, I grew up in the 90s with a little Ron Cannoli. I know most of y'all don't know like the old worship, but I grew up on the Ron Cannoli. Like the battle is the Lord's. Come on, like there were flute solos when we worshiped in the 90s. Some of y'all don't know. You don't know. You weren't there. That's okay. You're millennials, right? And like I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm trying to play both sides here. Like I got the old school and I'm just on the... The battle is the Lord's. And so what does Jehoshaphat do? Well, Jehoshaphat... I love this. He says, verse 18, it says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. There is an army of well over a million people on its way to get Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat's like, yo, who's got a guitar? Who's got a guitar? Let's just, let's get the worship going. What was that one we did? Who the sun sets free. You see why I'm not on the worship team, but oh, is free indeed. Come on. Yeah, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> There's an army bearing down on him, and he goes to prayer, and he goes to worship. You see, if you want to know how to get from fear to faith, it's prayer and it's worship. And this morning, as we kick off 21 days of prayer, and, and this is really the official opening of 21 Days of Prayer. It's going to be prayer and it's going to be worship that takes us from fear and that thing that you're dealing with, that thing that you're walking through, into a place of great faith. And so in a moment, the band's going to come back. We're going to worship together. In fact, we're just, we asked the band today to just take us to a, 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 even a deeper place in worship after the message today. So we're going to press back into a time of, of worship. And as we do that, we're going to open up the front of the church for, for some prayer. We would call this, you know, when I was growing up, we called this the altar. And I thank God that we have people that come to church brand new every week that haven't been to church, and we just refer to it as the altar. They're like, I am not going down there because it sounds kind of crazy. But we just call it the altar because that's the place where you just lay your life down before God. That's where you're like, listen, I can't do it on my own. I need you. And so we're going to open up the front. Our prayer team is going to come, and we're going to be, be praying for you and you might want to come and just have, tell them what you're going through in your life and have them pray specifically over what you're dealing with. Or maybe you just want to come and say, hey, just pray for me. Or maybe you want to stay in your seat this morning. That would be totally fine. But I think for some people in the room this morning, getting out of your seat is an important step that you would need to take to say, no, I'm going to begin to engage. Because listen, there's a champion inside you. And we're going to start thinking like champions. No more small-minded thinking. No more I'm stuck in the place where I've always been. No, we're going to begin to believe and think like a champion. Then we're going to open up our hearts. And we have the heart of a champion. And God's going to enlarge our capacity. And then we're going to get real. And we're going to fight for the people God brings to us. Amen, somebody? Would you stand with me all over the room? So in a moment, as we go into this time of prayer, your cue to come forward to receive prayer. If you want to receive prayer this morning, it's going to be as soon as the band starts to sing. You can just step out of your seat. There's no obligation. There's no pressure. It's just an invitation today. Today, some of you just need to take that step of faith. We're going to worship together in the room. God, I thank you.
that your presence is in this place, God. And the best of what happens in church is always the stuff that you do. It's not our band singing. It's not my preaching. It's when you speak to hearts. And so I thank you, God, that the best part of this morning is to come in these moments. So God, I pray that we would hear from you. God, our eyes and ears are attuned to you. Let us hear your voice calling us out of the place that we've been to, calling us into the life of a champion. And we just pray this in Jesus' name.
beautiful name it is the name of Jesus Christ my King what a beautiful name it is nothing compares to this what a beautiful name it is the name come on let's sing it out again what a beautiful what a beautiful name it is what a beautiful name it is the name of jesus christ my king what a beautiful name it is nothing compares to this what a beautiful name it is the name of jesus
service, I want to give an opportunity for anyone that you're in the place today and you honestly don't have a relationship with Jesus. The radical news of the gospel is that God loved you so much that in a place of brokenness and sin, he sent his son to die for you so that you could be forgiven and free and have eternal life. And maybe you've never taken a step of faith to believe in that gospel, to trust that God would forgive you of your sins. And before we leave this service today, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision to believe in faith, to say, yeah, today's my day to become a Christian, to choose to follow Jesus. Or maybe you made that decision at some point in your life, but you know, like you are far from God today. That you've chosen to walk away from God and today you need to recommit your life to follow Jesus. If that's you in the room today, we're not gonna center you out or embarrass you. We simply wanna pray with you because it is your faith that saves you. This is just a moment between you and God and believing faith. It's not what you do, it's what he's done for you. And so if today, by an act of believing faith, you'd say today I'm gonna surrender my life to follow Jesus. This is my moment to choose to surrender my whole life to Jesus. Today I'm gonna become a Christian. This is my moment. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand up on the count of three when I get to three and say, yeah, this is my day. Raising your hand is not gonna save you. Believing faith will, but I just give you that moment so that you would know, yeah, today is the day I made that decision. So if that's you, would you shoot your hand up on three? One, two, three. Just shoot up, hold it up long enough. Just between you and God to say, yeah, I'm making a decision of faith today. I'm gonna come to you today, Jesus. Church, let's pray with anyone who's just raised their hand or anyone who wanted to but didn't. Let's pray a prayer of believing faith together. Say this, say, dear Jesus, my whole life is yours and I'm going to follow you. Thank you for dying to save me. Forgive me. Give me new life. Help me to follow you. My whole life is yours. In Jesus' name. Everybody said church can we celebrate what God's done in this place oh summer it sounds good right now after what we just experienced doesn't it <laughs>